Hello and welcome back to Commission Talks. In today's episode, Josh sat down with Lloyd Danzig, the founder and CEO of Sharp Alpha Advisors, a premier consultancy and advisory firm specializing in sports betting startups, investments, M&A, and technology. Lloyd is widely regarded as the world's foremost expert on the evolving role of machine learning in the sports gaming and tech space. He's been privileged to be featured as a speaker on this topic at numerous prestigious universities, including Stanford University, Columbia University, and the Wharton School of Business. In addition to private sector conferences such as QCon AI, BossCon, the AI Summit, Math Sport International, Data Council NY, Sport and Society, and IAGR 2019. Today's conversation, Josh and Lloyd explored the role of AI in sports betting in the sports industry. We hope you enjoy. Lloyd Danzig, thanks for joining Commish Talks. Uh, pleasure to have you on after a lot of back and forth and trying to make this happen. So we appreciate your patience in that regard. Give our listeners a little background about Sharp Alpha and yourself. All right, sure. So l- let me start with quickly what I do today, and I can give you the, the real quick background on how I got here. <clears throat> I, I really wear two hats in my life. One of them, as you mentioned, is, is the founder and CEO of, of Sharp Alpha Advisors. And we're an advisory firm and consultancy that specializes in sports betting startups, investments, uh, and technology. So, so almost anything in the ecosystem that you could need, whether you're trying to invest in a company, start, in a, co- start a company, acquire one, get your company acquired, uh, that ends up all kind of being in the wheelhouse. In almost a totally different part of my life, uh, I'm also very, very active in the artificial intelligence space, specifically as it relates to the ethical development of artificial intelligence. So I run a 501c3 dedicated to that cause, and I sit on a number of other AI governance councils and best, es- best practice uh, you know, policy-making committees and, and things like that. And the intersection, uh, an area of expertise of mine that is at least somewhat unique now, but growing less unique as people get more interested, uh, is the role, evolving role of artificial intelligence in sports betting, sports tech, sports media, sports analytics, and the like. Uh, so just very quickly, I, I started my career kind of in, in financial services. I went to University of Pennsylvania undergrad. I was in uh, Wharton, the business school there, and uh, started off at BlackRock uh, doing institutional uh, asset management, uh, moved to become a, a fixed income trader uh, for, for a little while, trading uh, TMT bonds. Uh, I went back to school full time. I studied computer science at Columbia for two years before pivoting to the data science and machine learning space. Uh, and, and for a few years, I was working uh, for a joint effort uh, between a few publicist firms uh, where Samsung outsources all of their data-driven marketing decisions. Uh, and then when PASPA was repealed in 2018, uh, I thought I was going into the algorithmic trading world, uh, trading desks that use AI to make decisions. Uh, but instead, uh, PASPA was repealed. A number of startups popped up. Uh, I joined one to help with their first couple of capital raises and then went off on my own uh, to, to do what I'm doing now. Well, Lloyd, based on that background, sounds like you're a real idiot. Um, <laughs> no, it's, uh, I mean, sparkling resume, obviously, uh, especially on the educational front. And I think your path is really cool that you were in some of the bigger stuff, institutional, big money, and then now pivoted to startup work, which I really appreciate as a securities attorney, startup attorney. Uh, I think that's awesome. Entre- very entrepreneurial. Uh, so I want to, there's a couple things in there that I want to discuss uh, for our listeners. One, obviously, is sports betting. This is a sports-oriented podcast. But then I want to get into artificial intelligence because I think there's some really interesting angles and nuances that relates to sport and just in general into our culture and the future of our world. So let's start with sports betting. PASPA was repealed. Um, the world of sports betting opens up. What has happened to this point since PASPA? Are people betting? Are startups? Has there been a success? Who's making money? Who's losing money? 
All right. Yeah, that, that's a great question. So first of all, uh, virtually everyone is doing at least pretty well. Uh, you see DraftKings stock price, you see Penn Gaming stock price, uh, PointsBet stock price that doubled on the news of their NBC deal. Uh, so at, at, first of all, in the public markets, certainly, billions of dollars of wealth uh, have been created. So, so that is at least a positive. The mainstream sort of normalization of the discourse and discussion where people are talking about sports betting stocks on CNBC every day, Every major Wall Street investment bank now pretty much publishes research and price targets on sports betting companies. Uh, that's all new. Uh, that, that all has only happened relatively recently, and, and it really validates, I, I think, uh, the, the, uh, the integrity and, and just the long-term sustainability uh, of an industry that for some has a, still has a stigma associated with it. Many people still see betting as taking place in the shadows with bookies and things like that. And, you know, part of that is the job of operators and, and various people to, to educate them on. But that certainly is a good thing from the highest possible level optics perspective. I think your question about are people betting, or at least what my answer to that will be, might be one of the most interesting ways to, to go forward here because the answer is yes, people are betting on, on, on a lot of things. During quarantine, you saw people betting on all sorts of crazy stuff, ping pong and Belarusian hockey and whatnot. Uh, but even you know new events, uh, Capital One's golf match was an absolute blockbuster for golf betting. Uh, the first MLB uh, you know, Yankees game back this year was an absolute blockbuster. Uh, for, for betting handle. Um, and, and I think, you know, that is somewhat to be expected. What's interesting is, is the AGA just came out with a, a, their most recent study on NFL betting behaviors. And what they found was that 75% of people still place most of their bets, not through a sports book at all, legal or otherwise, but with friends or at their office, through an office pool, through a fantasy pool, through a text message, through Venmo. And those, that 75% worth of betting activity, that is not captured by the market formally. Uh, so I think the answer is things are going great and a lot of states have legalized. Many people hope that COVID accelerates the path to uh, mobile betting in certain states. That said, you know, uh, you know the, the wheels of bureaucracy kind of grind slow and many states are having difficulty. Tennessee is probably the main state that is looked at that is just really struggling to get sports betting up and running. And so I think my answer to your question is the big companies are doing well what they should be doing, which is a marketing blitz and a customer acquisition blitz. The fact that so many people still are betting in these casual realms, I think points to what anyone who likes sports betting knows here, which is that it's not so much about the money, although money's nice, as the, the social experience, the camaraderie, the competition with your friends. Certainly anyone who plays fantasy sports season long knows that it's way more about the bragging rights, uh, you know, that, than the prize, even though some leagues do have nice prizes. You asked about startups, uh, and that is where the startups come in. All the kind of new, uh, cool, tech-focused product innovation that I think will bring the type of sports betting that, that we like to engage into the market, uh, that is being done by a lot of the, a lot of the startups in the space. Yeah, and I, I represent a couple startups in that space, which I'll talk to you offline about. But, okay, fair uh, enough. We'll get there. So I want to delve into a lot of stuff and just unpack, unpack that. So when this all kind of started after PASPA, we, even at our law firm, was looking at a state-by-state -state approach and what's going to happen, just this patchwork of sports betting allowance and so on and so forth. Has there been any federal movement to actually layer over federal law as it relates to sports betting? 
So this is tough uh, because obviously when people see all the delays in legalization, when they see the uncertainty uh, caused by future regulatory burden, you know, how do you invest in a sports betting company if you don't know how many states will be legal? Uncertainty as to the tax code. Uh, it seems like there's a lot of great reasons for that. Uh, now, what you have to remember is that when PASPA was struck down in, in 2018, it was specifically struck down on the grounds that it violated the 10th Amendment because the courts ruled that sports betting should be a state's rights issue and not a federal issue. So that, it seems, would be you know, pretty hard to, to go back on. However, uh, first of all, there certainly have been some headlines. You know, I think like Chuck Schumer and Mitt Romney put a joint bill uh, on the floor that I think was more like cosmetic than anything. But where it gets interesting, something that might be a little off the radar, especially for non-securities people, but some people have, have come in and said, well, the CFTC should really regulate sports bets as binary options because they resemble securities just as much as anything else that, you know, the CFTC, for example, regulates. And that obviously would be a totally separate issue. It has nothing to do with states' rights. And so perhaps through something like that, uh, there could be. In addition, you hear people talking about, like, what will be the definition of insider trading? For sports betting and and over what jurisdictions will that apply will that kind of vary state by state uh, i think it's all uncertain i think though it, it is important to remember this is you know new jersey went through a, a 16 year court battle uh to you know uh show that they thought this was a state's rights issue no one is going to be quick to give that up and, and i would add something that would be really interesting um should there be some you know federal regulation obviously the wire act uh, even though, you know, it's a, a 1961 piece, piece of legislation uh, is still kind of standing its ground right now. And, and there could be a conflict there. And, and finally, what I'll point out that is an interesting thing to think about, you know, would should there be some real massive paradigm shift in, in how you get a sports betting license? That could really kind of upset the balance of how things have gone historically, because right now it costs, I think, $20 million to get a certain type of license in Illinois. And then, you know, like $75,000 to get one in Iowa. How are those people respectively going to feel if they each pay that amount and the very next day that license is allowed, allows them to get, you know, reach into the other one's jurisdiction. So lots of conflicts, some potential advantages, uh, but, but yeah, really early to, to, too, too early to tell. Okay. So let's keep going on that path. It remains a state's right issue. We heard a lot of lobbying coming from the major leagues, NBA, NFL, MLB, NHL, about integrity fees. Where have we landed in regards to the integrity fees? Yeah, so uh, th this is, I think, to me, an example of one of the many places where uh, various stakeholders in the industry took an adversarial relationship toward each other when a synergistic one would have benefited both parties more. Uh, and this, I think, is, there's a bunch of examples. I think this is, is the main one. So just to step back, immediately post-PASPA, uh, all the leagues who had been fighting sports betting, saying it was going to ruin their leagues all along, now are realizing, okay, there's a lot of money to be made, and we want a piece of it. And how do they propose going about that? They want it to be required, preferably by law, that all of the sports betting operators that offer markets on their games pay them an integrity fee called an integrity fee because at least allegedly the funds would be used to maintain the integrity of their games. Uh, and it was originally at least quoted as a pretty significant percentage uh, of handle. And that is, you know, the equivalent of kind of taking money off the top 
uh, in an industry that already has razor thin margins. And not only was that really not looked favorably upon by, you know, the DraftKings of the world for obvious economic reasons, I think, and rightfully so, I'm very much on the sportsbook side of this argument, it, it was short-sighted and, and, you know, penny-wise, pound-foolish, because as much revenue as sports betting drives for a company like DraftKings, it drives way more for people who have rights, syndication rights and advertising rights. Uh, those values go up way more than any amount of money DraftKings will ever earn just from sports betting, because the engagement uh, that sports betting drives is, is absolutely unrivaled. So first of all, I just personally think it, it was really foolish of the leagues to kind of take this antagonistic stance. Uh, and it didn't really quite work out. No states really were ready. I think New York kind of has it on the books that there might be, if they legalize uh, mobile sports betting right now, that there would be some small uh, percent off the top fee. But, but for the most part, it at least failed to gain widespread legalization. So what they tried to do right after that and you know, it, it seemed so transparent, but maybe not that many people paying attention, is the league said, all right, forget the integrity fee. We just want all the legislators to mandate that they use official league data. Yeah, go ahead. I, I, hit pause right there. Sure. Um, I apologize. Someone just showed up at my door that I have to let in. I apologize. Hold on. <laughs> no problem. Go ahead. Sorry about that. Like, all good. No, people showed up, up. That, and the door was locked. And I, <laughs> they had to get into the house. So I apologize. No, no worries. So, so, so saying that, as soon as the, the, the leagues kind of realized that it was both not playing well in the press uh, and hard to mandate, they switched tenor. And I should mention, part of the reason it wasn't playing well in the press is because the NBA, for example, right, they just had a referee scandal not that many years ago. And a lot of people, you know, similar to how they respond when they say, oh, Google is going to police itself as relates to technology ethics. It was kind of the same response. Like people were laughing that the leagues thought they could monitor the integrity kind of of their own matches. But that so, being said, like baseball yeah. has a history, a bad history of gambling in their sport. And I know culturally within baseball, there's a lot of reluctance to extend betting or increase betting on the game of baseball because there has been, let's call it hiccups or warts in the past regarding that. So league by league, what has been the responses in regards to sports betting? So first of all, let me just quickly say that that is, of course, a concern, although the devil's advocate response is, well, at least if we have fully distributed legal online sports betting, we can track a good percentage of the bets and then, you know, algorithmically identify, uh, you know, match fixing. And, and that is at least a logical response, but it, it remains to be seen if, if it actually plays out that way. Uh, to your question, you know, the NBA uh, is not only, I think, one of the leagues that people respect the most in terms of kind of just their forward thinking nature as relates to you know the, the four major u.s sports but in as relates to sports betting in particular they really did pioneer it adam silver had an op-ed uh that that he wrote that was you know is always talked about in the path to repealing paspa and they've kind of been on the uh, on the forefront of of thinking ahead thinking about the next generation thinking about players and all that and so i think they are in most fans' good graces, or at least were until social issues infiltrated the league and, and upset at least some. But, but as related to sports betting, the NBA was kind of in that position. The NFL, you know, historically, they were the ones that said, free agency will ruin our league. And then free agency came and it made the league better. And then they said, fantasy sports will ruin our league. And then fantasy sports came and made it better. And it, it's the same thing here. 
Uh, and, and, you know, ironically, despite all their protests, you know, all the commissioners just signed, or not that long ago, signed a letter to the Canadian government recommending that they legalize sports betting as well. Um, you know, the NHL, I think, uh, gets much less headlines uh, than, than basketball, baseball, or football. But, uh, you know, MLB certainly, I, I think they, <laughs> they fail to do themselves uh, justice when it comes to fan relations. Um, but, yes, I, I think that, you know, match fixing, and especially as relates to, you know, um, were there to be betting on minor league baseball, things like that, where you have smaller markets, similar to how people – uh, you know, talk about esports uh, when you have lower paid athletes uh, that may be commingling with higher paid athletes. Suddenly, the incentive structure for things like max fixing kind of kind of gets messed up. So I, I think that's about where we are now. So that's a, a great segue because as a minor league commissioner and general counsel to a few minor leagues, I'm getting hammered about how do we get into sports betting and obviously the issue around match fixing players pay versus the potential outcome of fixing a match are all there. Is there ever a world where minor league sports reaps the rewards of sports betting in some fashion? Sure. So I would say that there is no world in which they don't, uh, at least tangentially, uh, because at the very least, sports betting will drive engagement and bring a younger audience to every single sport. And at the very least, some <clears throat> percentage of that will trivial will, will, will trickle down to the amateur leagues, the college leagues, the minor leagues, and, and things like that. Uh, that will take time. You know, that will not manifest in on a minor league team's income statement for a number of years, you know, and, and so it's not going to help them right now. But I think that's one thing as well as just, you know, awareness, appreciation uh, for the sport and things like that. Uh, to, yeah. I was going to say, I just want to touch on the tech side a little bit because looking at the patchwork of states and their allowance of sports betting, how it's going to be allowed, whether it's just in casinos, whether it's in stadium, out of stadium, sports books, is there ever a world where we walk into a stadium where we're only allowed to bet within that stadium? Um, only within the stadium uh, would be an interesting thing. I, I think the, bet, the, the closest that we would come to that, uh, which, which could happen, uh, would be an example, let, let's use New York right now, for example, where there is legal sports betting, but it's all in these upstate casinos, none of which are within two hours of, of New York City. Suppose, you know, there could be something where Madison Square Garden and Barclays Center get a special license to have a sports book on premise before mobile sports betting is legal, possibly even by a couple of years, just because of the way those stand in very different kind of regulatory areas. Um, you know, Tennessee, no one thought previously that there would be a state that only had mobile sports betting. And then Tennessee said, you know, we don't even want brick and mortar. We only want the mobile business. That said, I, I would be surprised if over the long term in, the mature, in a mature state, uh, that there was any state where you could only bet in stadium. But what's not impossible is, a, is some situation where you can only bet at brick and mortar casinos and in a stadium or an arena. That, that could happen. That makes a lot of sense. Um, I want to touch on AI a little bit. Sure. So as it relates to sports betting in just general, and we'll move it up a vertical, AI in general, or excuse me, move it down a vertical, AI in general, culturally, are we at risk of being crushed by the Terminator? Great question. So, you know, I think the answer is we have a lot of things uh, to fear and that we should all be smarter about and, and more aware of that relate to, you know, existential risks that come from AI. None of them even remotely resemble uh, the Terminator or a killer robot apocalypse uh, just yet. 
Uh, the, the reason for that, by the way, you know, some people get confused when they hear the same term that's applied to, you know, the, the Terminator being applied to like some computer model. Uh, the types of AI that exist today are what are known as narrow artificial intelligence in that they are engines programmed to perform one thing really well and they only do that thing really well. The type of AI that you see in a killer robot movie is what they call artificial general intelligence, which describes the class of machines that can be taught one skill and then extrapolate that out to learn every other skill. We are nowhere close to having artificial general intelligence, but we have very, very powerful artificial narrow intelligence for certain specific use cases. So th that is just, you know, to kind of level set um, what the landscape is. That said, uh, the things, you know, to just very quickly, you know, mention that, that people should be aware of, one is simply the fact that AI only works when you have a ton of data and the collection and storage of more and more of our data by companies is, is generally not viewed favorably, especially given, you know, how many data breaches there are and whatnot. Uh, and then there are, are, are things that are very subtle and almost hard to detect, but have already caused a few controversies. Uh, one of which you hear is, is this thing called algorithmic bias. So Goldman Sachs and Apple came out with a credit card together that was supposed to be this new credit card for the next generation. It's AI powered. It uses all this technology to provide the best banking experience. And accidentally, unbeknownst to them until they actually issued the credit cards, there was something in their predictive model that was deciding what credit limits to offer people that reliably gave women a lower credit limit than men, even among couples who filed their taxes jointly and had the same credit score. And so that came out and that was like a big headline. And, and look, no one got hurt. Maybe their, their feelings did, but, but fortunately there was no you know, major issue. But the point is certainly Goldman Sachs and Apple would not have deliberately come out with a tool that did that, they would have known the risks of it. And so when you think about, you know, uh, police using facial recognition or military outfits using uh, an AI system to tell a drone where to strike or artificial intelligence that is making healthcare decisions. There was another big controversy with United Health Group last year where they were using an algorithm to decide how healthcare decisions would be made and reliably black people were getting lower quality of care than white people, even if they had the same severity. So these are kind of these subtle things where if we conclude too early that we understand AI, that there could be ways that, that it really impacts us. Uh, but the killer robot apocalypse is, is not yet upon us. Thank you for clarifying that and clearing <laughs> it up for any uh, worriers out there with anxiety regarding Skynet. So let's move into sports as it relates to AI. Let's, you just talked about data, the collection of data, and then the power of the AI in a narrow scale. Could you in fact build a system that takes 150 years of baseball data to help predict the outcome of certain games? And in fact, I gain a tactical advantage in terms of betting uh, that would potentially destroy, destroy the industry. Yeah, so that is an area of, of, of great interest. And the answer is yes and no. Uh, the, the answer for, you know, uh, game seven of the World Series is absolutely no, because Vegas or a bookmaker or a specific model are not what are determining those odds. The supply and demand and the collective conscious and the wisdom of the crowds of all the millions of people that are betting are what determine those lines. And it is very well established that betting markets with sufficient liquidity where people actually put money down are the best predictors of anything, sports, politics, you know, or, or, or otherwise. 
So in, in a game where everyone is betting, where there's tons of time to collect information, it would be very, very hard for you uh, to, to gain an edge. Now, that said, there are two possibilities. Uh, one is that there, you can use AI to gather data in ways that people haven't before. For example, people take an AI system and they show it a broadcast of a basketball game and it can track every player on the court and where they were and how fast they were going, you know, 25 times per second. So if you have an AI system that can get data that other people don't have, well, maybe you can recognize certain correlations. More likely uh, where you would add value, you know, with machine learning is in live betting, in what now sometimes are being referred to as micro markets. DraftKings lets you bet on the next point in a tennis match or the next pitch in a baseball game. These markets where speed is everything and the ability to process large amounts of data in a short period of time would be a competitive edge, I, I think that might be a, a potential area. Now, all that said, um, if you really do have enough data, I, I don't know if most people understand what would be a lot of data for an AI system. You know, what's, what's a lot of data for a person on an Excel spreadsheet is very easy for a computer to. Most people will never see or have access to the amount of data that AI really performs so much better than traditional methodologies on. But if you do, if you happen to have access to the Sport Radar API and you know some other things and you have your own proprietary database, uh, then I think absolutely, especially in the lower profile, you know, markets, a, a 105 p.m., you know, Minnesota Twins game in the, in, on Tuesday in the regular season, uh, especially when, when that market first opens, and that's the other point I'll make. If you think you have an edge, generally, you need to bet that, you know, as, as soon as the market opens, as soon as, as the line opens, because other people will likely have an edge, maybe that same one. And it, what actually ends up being the case is you can make more money by just betting teams, you know, and getting what's called closing line value, which is when you bet the team early and the line, you know, moves in your favor. You can almost do better identifying those opportunities than, you know, teams that are really hot uh, just because of the way expected value works. Lloyd, this has like been just a treasure trove of information and <laughs> intelligence. So I appreciate that. I want to have you on for a second version because I have so much more, many more questions to ask, but our listeners are running out of their drive time. It's usually about a half hour before they get to work. So Lloyd, we're going to have you back on. I really appreciate it, sir. All right. Thanks a lot, Josh. Be well. Thanks. Hey, podcast fans. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Commish Talks. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, and we'll see you next time.